0: Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll be reading from verse 17 to chapter 3 verse 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You'll turn in your Bible into the New Testament. You'll go past Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and you'll finally arrive at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 17 to chapter 3 verse 5. This is what Holy Scripture says. For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were w- willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. That no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand That we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids. Do you ever watch any of those
1: uh, animal documentary videos from like BBC or uh, Disney Nature or anything like that? Uh, I love watching those videos. I find it uh, enjoy- enjoying and it's relaxable for some reason. Uh, the other day I was watching a documentary about a pack of wolves that were hunting bison up in the north. And it's all very interesting to see how it works. Bison, they they like to naturally stick together because it gives them a sense of security and it helps them to protect themselves against predators. And even if there are a pack of wolves that are coming around, they won't be able to do much when the bison form this tight defensive circle with their horns pointing out. It's, It's a very strategic way of repelling predators. Now, as long as they stand together, they're safe. It's only when they start to panic and they separate from one another that they become most vulnerable to the attack of the wolves. I think there is an important spiritual lesson that we can learn from Bison, and it is this, that we endure affliction by standing together Remember, when, when, when Paul, Silas, and Timothy got to the city of Thessalonica, and, and by the grace of God, they witnessed many people come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they, their, their time there was, was, was short-lived. It was probably about a month before they were driven out of the city because of persecution, which meant that this young church was there, left alone in a hostile environment filled with persecution and affliction. Can you imagine what the Thessalonians were feeling and what they were thinking? I mean, it must have been terrifying for them. We know that that this wasn't an easy place to become a follower of Jesus Christ. They were experiencing affliction and their leaders were absent. Affliction and absence. I mean, because of this, Paul had a deep longing to be with them in order to stand together to endure affliction. And that's what our passage is all about from chapter 2, 17 to chapter 3, verse 5. We know that the Apostle Paul was fiercely committed to preaching the word of God to people. But we also need to know that Paul was fiercely committed to the, to, to the people of God who have been changed by the word. And we can learn something about the importance of standing together with other believers from the words of the Apostle Paul here. So point number one, strengthen your desire to stand together. How do we do this? Well, first, we recognize fellow Christians as our spiritual family. Look with me at verse 17. Paul says, But since we were torn away from you brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Now, I want you to notice first of all how Paul calls them brothers, and just to be clear, this includes sisters in the faith as well. If you read through this entire letter in one sitting, which I would encourage you to do it 's very easy take you probably about fifteen to twenty minutes you'll realize that Paul calls them brothers almost an awkward amount of times compared to some of his other letters that are around the same length. In Colossians, he calls them brothers once. In Ephesians, he calls them brothers once. In Philippians, he calls them brothers seven times. But do you know how many times he calls the Thessalonians brothers in this letter? A total of 16 times. It's pretty much at the beginning of every new section in this letter. And, and I don't think this is because he's got some kind of word weird weird word tick. You know, how some people always start this sentence with, you know, you know, you know, or end every sentence with right, right, right. Like, we all have our individual word ticks. But is that what's going on here? Does Paul have this weird word tick? No, I don't think so. But he does repeat himself often to make it very clear to the Thessalonians that even though he was only with them for one month, he considers them to be his true family in Christ. That's what the Lord does when he saves his people. He not only justifies us, but he adopts us into his family where we can call him our Heavenly Father and we can call one another our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Grace Fellowship Church, you need to recognize that the Christians sitting beside you are, aren't some weird strangers that, that you need to keep your distance from. They are your family, your spiritual family. That Christian man is your brother in the Lord. That Christian sister is your sister in the Lord. Because when the Lord saves, she, he makes his people into a spiritual family, a family of love, a family that is united by faith. And understanding that first will help us to understand the weightiness of Paul's words when he says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers. It's not like Paul, Timothy, and Silas casually packed their bags and left the Thessalonians to suffer on their own. I mean, if they had a choice, they would have stood together with this church longer. But they couldn't because they were forced to leave. Although the words torn away are powerful, a more literal and graphic translation would be, they were made orphans. They were made orphans, meaning the church was made an orphan through this separation. Earlier in chapter 2, Paul talked about his gospel ministry resembling that of a nurturing mother and, 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 and an instructive father. He was like a, a spiritual parent to these, uh, these Thessalonians. And so when they were driven out of the city, it was like they were parents holding on to their dear children, children with white knuckled fists, but then someone came and pried their hands open and took them away. So you can see that there is pain in these words. There, there's a great pain in this experience As spiritual parents, they were torn away from their spiritual children and the church was made an orphan by this separation. They're not together geographically now. They're not together in each other's presence. They are out of sight, but listen, they are not out of mind, or better yet, not out of heart. Paul says that they were torn away for a short time in person, not in heart. They they may have been physically separated from the church, but their love for the saints did not disappear. And that love was expressed in a yearning, a, a longing desire to be together with them. That brings us to point B, long to be with your spiritual family. Verse 17 goes on and Paul says, We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I mean, just consider the force of the words he's using. Endeavored, more eagerly, great desire, wanted. Those aren't the words that come from an apathetic and idle heart. Because of their great love for this church and, and the church's current situation of experiencing persecution, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were doing everything they could to stand together with them again, face-to-face, person-to-person, no more obstacles, no more distancing. I mean, writing a letter is great. Sending a text message or writing emails, great. FaceTime, Zoom calls, we get it. It's better than nothing. Nothing but none of these virtual means of connecting and relating can ever replace the true joy and power that comes from being in fellowship together. And we know something of that truth pretty well, don't we? You know, I think for the majority of us, the, the hardest and most challenging part of this pandemic was not being able to physically come together as the gathered church. It's felt like this pandemic has torn us away from one another, It's felt like we were made orphans by lockdowns. And that was all a very painful experience. And it was painful because you were desiring to stand together with your spiritual family. And that's also why it's such a joy to be back together like this. All together, in person, one service. This satisfies our longing to be together in person. Now, I want to be super careful and super clear here. For those of you who are watching this online, uh, I know that some of you have very legitimate reasons for not being here. But if you're not here because you think it's not really important to be physically together or you're just content with watching sermons online then you probably don't understand the spiritual significance of standing together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and you are walking in spiritual danger when you're isolated. That kind of absence and isolation isn't aligned with the heart of the Apostle Paul and the truth of these words. That's not what a church is. The church can literally be defined as the assembly or the gathering. You can't say that you're a part of a church when you never gather with the church. And so if you don't have a legitimate reason for not being here, then come back. Now is the time to come back and stop neglecting the gathering of the saints. And to all of you who are here this morning, praise the Lord. It's so good to see all of your faces. But now that we're back together again in person make sure that you don't leave your heart back at home. Just because you're here in person doesn't mean you're here in heart. Just because you're here in the flesh doesn't mean that you're here in love. Love is most powerfully expressed when the person and the heart are present. And when either one is missing, then love will always be lacking. You know, when you're in a conversation with a brother or sister in Christ will they get this sense that you're sincere about engaging with them in fellowship? Or are they going to pick up this, this awkward vibe that you would rather be somewhere else, anywhere else but here? Friends, don't just be present in person, but present in heart. Give your undivided attention to the people that you are engaging. Engage your thoughts and engage your emotions. Ask questions of genuine interest and pray for one another. I mean, this is how Jesus engaged people. When he came into our world in flesh and blood, he didn't leave his heart behind in glory. He came and he gave his heart to his people. He listened, he wept, he rejoiced, he prayed, he taught and conversed. And as he has loved you in this way, go and love one another in the same way. Friends, long to be with your spiritual family in person, but also long to be with your spiritual family in glory. We're going to come back to the end of verse 18 in a moment, but for now, skip ahead and come with me to verses 19 and 20. Paul says, For what is our hope or joy? Or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming, is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This is the reason why Paul was was, was yearning to, to see them. This was the, the reason why Paul wanted to come to them so badly because of how much they meant to him. Here in verses 19 and 20, Paul is envisioning the day when Jesus comes at his second coming. And on that day, what will be his hope? What, what, what is Paul hoping for? What, what will be his joy? What is the reward he is looking forward to receiving on that great day? And, and I use the, the word reward because that's what the crown of blessing is. It's like a reward that an athlete receives for successfully completing a race. Now, we know that, that, that Paul is looking forward to personally seeing Jesus face to face and being safely brought home to glory. No, no more persecution, no more suffering, no more affliction. It's just pure, eternal bliss with Jesus. But he makes it clear here that he is also hopeful and joyful that on that day he will not enter into glory alone. On that day, he will stand with the saints of Thessalonica and he will see his fellow brothers and sisters safely home with Jesus as well. That is his reward. The church is his reward. What what is our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at, at his coming? Is it not you, the church, the people? It's the people that he has had the privilege of leading to Christ who is his reward and seeing them meet their Savior will be a kindness from God that shows Paul that his ministry was not in vain. All of that suffering, all of that persecution, all of the hardships that he has faced for for the gospel and for the good of God's people, it will not be in vain. As a spiritual family, we should have a longing to see one another in person here and now, but also have a longing to see one another in glory, safely, home with Jesus. And I pray that that drives us and motivates us to labor in love together, helping one another carry heavy burdens, grabbing the hand of a brother or sister who is falling behind in the race of faith, pursuing those who are are straying from the faith and, and they're struggling because of affliction. As Pastor Paul often reminds us, all of us are limping our way to glory. We're all limping our way. None of us is perfect. And so let's help one another get to the finish line and see each other safely home with Jesus in glory. To see someone there that you have had the privilege of ministering to will be your glory and your joy. That is something Worth living for. Now, even if you have a strong desire to stand together, you need to remember that things won't always happen the way that you want it to. Come back with me to verse 17 and look at what he says. We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. Now, now, for just a brief moment here, Paul, Paul shifts from representing the missionaries to representing himself and he's saying, I personally wanted to come and see you again and again. He's, he's sharing his heart there, his personal desire of wanting to be together with them in person. But what happened? Why was he unable to come? Why is he sending a written letter instead of standing with them in person? Well, it's because the devil got in his way. Point C, acknowledge the existence of your spiritual enemy. Paul says, I, Paul, again and again, was trying to get back to you. And look at the end of verse 18. But Satan hindered us. The the idea is that Satan stopped them by placing on their path an impassable obstacle. Obstacle. You've got to wonder what he means by that. And, and there are a lot of very intriguing ideas as to how Satan hindered them. But the reality is we just don't know because Paul doesn't explain how Satan hindered them. All we're told here is that Satan was the one responsible for stopping their return to Thessalonica. Now, I just want to be careful here because this doesn't mean that Satan is somehow more powerful than God. We know from the book of Job that Satan is only allowed to go as far as the sovereign Lord permits him to do according to his perfect wisdom and according to his mysterious purposes. But when Satan's leash is loosened, don't think that he's some kind of trained poodle that is running up to you. Rather, think about him as a vicious, untrained pit bull that wants to hurt you. Whatever Satan did was effective to stop the missionary's greatest efforts. This is a formidable enemy that we are talking about. And he is an enemy that is as old as time who is dead set on hindering the people of God. He was opposed to humanity since Genesis 3. He even opposed Jesus and his apostles and he continues to oppose Christians today. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need to be aware that there is a great spiritual adversary, an enemy in our world. He is not a symbol. He is not a metaphor. He is a very real evil presence in our world. Now, there's more that needs to be said about our spiritual enemy, but we're going to come back to him at the end of the sermon because Paul brings him up again in chapter 3, verse 5. For now, we've talked about Strengthening our desire to stand together. But now let's see how we are to stand together. How we are to stand together. Point two, build one another up as you stand together. Chapter three, verse one, Paul continues and he says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone and we sent Timothy. Now, it's, 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 it's interesting here. For, for, for some reason, Paul and Silas could not make their way back to the city, but Timothy was an exception. And, and all we know is, uh, you know, that, that part still remains a, a big mystery to us, but, but all we know is that Timothy was able to go, and he was sent because Paul and Silas and, and, and Timothy as well, they couldn't bear to leave the Thessalonians alone. And so they sent their best In the circumstances, they sent Timothy, which shows us that as we stand together, we need to be willing to make great sacrifices. I mean, just notice the language of sacrifice in verse 1 that Paul uses. He says, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. They, They were willing to be left alone if that meant that the Thessalonians didn't have to be alone. They were willing to forfeit the blessing of having one of their best if that meant the Thessalonians would be blessed by one of their best. I mean, you can just imagine what it was like for them to lose Timothy. He was a young, gifted brother in the Lord who was with them through thick and thin. And by the grace of God, Timothy has proven himself to be a faithful co-laborer in the gospel. I mean, even if it's for the best of reasons, it is always hard to lose a spiritual friend and companion. I mean, look at how Paul describes Timothy with with love and respect. He says, Timothy, our brother. In verse 2, our brother, a brother in the faith, dearly loved and cherished. Timothy was family to Paul and Silas, but he was also God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ. And Paul probably uses this, this, this uh, description to confirm Timothy's credibility. After all, it's Timothy that was sent. It's Timothy who was going to come face to face with the Thessalonians and minister to them. And so Paul wanted the church to know that Timothy could be trusted since he was doing the Lord's work. He was a co-worker of God. I mean, I'm certain that Paul and Silas would have have greatly benefited from having Timothy stick around with them. I mean, here is a brother who can help carry that heavy, heavy load of ministry. But for the sake of this young church that was suffering under severe persecution, they were willing to make this huge sacrifice in order to bless the Thessalonians. There's so many ways that we can creatively apply this truth of sacrificial love and service to ourselves as individuals. But I hope that we're also thinking hard about how we can apply this to us as a church. Are we as a local church willing to give generously and send out some of our very best and brightest in order to see other churches established and built up in our city, our country, and our world? I mean, by God's grace, we've been able to do this. By God's grace, we've been able to help plant and revitalize four other churches. But my prayer is that we would keep going. That we would continue to be a church planting church. That as a church, we would be willing to send some of our best people to stand together with other Christians who are in greater need. And friends, we have another great opportunity to do that with Park Royal Bible Church now. And so let's faithfully love them and serve them. Listen, I know that it's, that it's costly. But I also know that Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so I pray that we would take those words to heart and make great sacrifices in order to serve others as a church. That's what Timothy was sent to do. Verse 2, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, for what? To establish and exhort you in the faith. How do we sacrificially build one another up? We stabilize the young in faith. That's what the word establish means. It's, It's to stabilize other believers by convincing them about the truths of the Christian faith. And this was especially important here because Christianity was still very new to the Th- to the Thessalonians. They were still what people sometimes like to call baby Christians who don't know a lot about the Bible and a lot about sound doctrine. Now, listen, I-, I have a six-month-old baby at home, and, and he's a hefty little dude. And-, and we try to set him up sometimes to... To, 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 to get him to just grow and, and stabilize, but he's still not that stable. Every time we set him up in about three seconds, he just falls over. When a Christian is young in the faith, naturally there isn't a lot of spiritual stability. And this was true for the Thessalonians. They, they were young and needed to be more established in the truth of God's word, especially since they were suffering affliction. Affliction. And so, Paul's first assignment for Timothy was to have him stabilize their faith in the truth. And this probably meant that Timothy spent time um, teaching and instructing and discipling them from the scriptures. Grace Fellowship Church, we've been in this amazing season of watching baptisms take place for the last three Sundays. And praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that that God is saving people and he is bringing his people to himself. And we have the joy of witnessing that. And many of them are new Christians. Many of them have only come to faith eight months ago through a pandemic. I mean, there are also others who who have been in the faith maybe for a little bit longer but are not firmly established in the truth. And that means that we have opportunities all around us in this church to help those who are younger in the faith become more and more established in the truth. So look around. Is there a younger brother or a younger sister in the Lord that you're able to come alongside and help them be more convinced in the truths of Scripture? And as a pastor, I often have new members ask me if there are people who can disciple them. Trust me, the need is there. The question is are you willing to sacrifice your time and energy in order to help others be established in their faith? The need is there. Are you willing? As we're seeking to stabilize the young in faith, we also need to comfort and encourage one another in the truth. That was Timothy's second mission. Paul tells him to exhort, Paul tells Timothy that Timothy, Paul tells the Thessalonians that Timothy was sent to establish them and exhort them in their faith. Exhortation includes both encouragement and comfort, and both are especially necessary when people are suffering affliction. Affliction, and, and you know this as well, affliction can, can often make people feel like they are a bruised reed that's about to break. Or a smoldering wick that's about to burn out. There's always the danger of slipping into despair when someone is suffering, which is why we need to be careful that we don't further beat down those who are already broken. We need to lift them up by comfort and encouragement. And and here's the purpose at verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. That no one be shaken, that that, that no one fall into despair, that no one fall away from the faith. When afflictions are present, a brother or a sister's faith can, can waver. But if we faithfully seek to establish and exhort one another in the faith, by God's grace, we will never be moved. Paul sent Timothy to build them up in their faith. But he also had Timothy deliver this letter in order to remind them that suffering affliction was a necessary part of a Christian's life. Verse 3 carries on, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. What is this? The, The this. The this is affliction. Paul was reminding them of the very thing that they already knew. That suffering is a Christian's destiny. But listen, it is not their ultimate destiny. It is through many tribulations that we must enter what? The kingdom of God. Verse 4, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know When Paul was with them, he clearly preached about suffering. And it didn't take long for this truth to become a reality in their lives. I mean, almost immediately as this church was born, Paul, Silas, and Timothy only lasted about a month until they were driven out. Mobs formed, riots started, fellow Christians like Jason and some other brothers in the faith were arrested and dragged to court. You see, suffering, affliction was not an abstract truth for this church. It was an experiential truth. They knew exactly what Paul was talking about. Verse 5, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Because suffering was their experiential truth, and because Paul knew that Satan would want to take advantage of situations like this, he couldn't handle it anymore. He sent Timothy. Timothy, go learn about their faith. Establish them. Exhort them. And here is where we come back to Satan. We already saw how you need to acknowledge the existence of your spiritual enemy. And you also need to beware the schemes of your spiritual enemy. Don't think that the devil is just there minding his own business. Yes, he is there, but he has a single-minded devotion to destroy your soul. It's important to note that Satan here is called the tempter. What does a tempter do? Well, a tempter tempts. That's what tempters do, just like a, Pastor pastors, just like a driver drives, just like a racer races. I don't know. A tempter tempts. This is a fitting title for our spiritual enemy. Temptation is his defining weapon against humanity. I mean, that was how he attacked the first people in the world, Adam and Eve. He didn't send out his demons and launch this full-scale, explosive, spiritual attack. No, he came with subtlety and craftiness. He used words that were sweet and tugged at the heart. He made promises that sounded too good to be true. He is a cunning enemy. I've been reading a book by J.C. Ryle called Thoughts for Young Men. And in that book, he gives a helpful description of how dangerous our spiritual adversary is. He says, for near 6,000 years, the devil has been reading one book, and that book is the heart of man. He ought to know it well, and he does know it. All its weaknesses, all its deceitfulness, all of its folly, and he has a store of temptations such as are most likely to do it harm. Satan has the PhD of PhDs when it comes to the heart of man. He's been studying for his entire existence. Brothers and sisters, your spiritual enemy knows you maybe even better than you know yourself. And he's going to use every kind of temptation in his toolbox to separate you from Christ and separate you from one another. He's going to tempt you to be angry with one another, to hold a grudge against one another, to keep sins silent from one another, and to not forgive one another. He's going to tempt you to bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, slander, and malice basically anything and everything that will break your relationships with one another. So we need to be vigilant at all times beware the the, the great spiritual enemy and remember that he is always scheming against you and he is going to surround you with all kinds of temptations to sin. But Jesus told us that there is a way to overcome temptation and that is to watch and pray. We must pray. We need to be constantly in prayer. Stand together with your brothers and sisters in prayer by joining us here every Wednesday evening from 7 to 8 p.m. so that we can pray together. We endure affliction and we fight against the temptations of the enemy when we pray together. See, Paul had a great desire to personally stand with the Thessalonians, but he couldn't because Satan put this obstacle in his way that stopped him. But what Paul was unable to do with this church, Jesus was able to do with his church. Jesus had a great desire to stand together with his people. And so he came in flesh and blood. He came in person and in heart. And he established and exhorted his people in the faith. He was going to save his people and no one was going to get in his way. No one was going to put an obstacle in his way. When Satan definitely tried, he met Jesus in the wilderness and threw his best temptations at him. But Jesus overcame the temptations of the devil with the word of the Lord. That didn't work. Temptations didn't work. So Satan put the ultimate obstacle on the path of Christ, the cross. But Jesus willingly sacrificed his life on the cross. And in doing so, he atoned for our sins and he decisively crushed the head of the serpent on the cross. And because of what Jesus has done in his life, death, and in his resurrection, we by faith have been forgiven and we've been freed and we've been graciously adopted into his family. And this good news of salvation is for anyone who turns away from their sins and puts their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So if you haven't done that already, come, turn away from your sins and put your trust in Jesus. What Paul desired to do and what Timothy did in standing together with the church is all perfectly displayed in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, let's seek to ultimately be like Jesus. Have the same desire that he had to stand together with the church. Build one another build one another up as you stand together here in person so that we can endure affliction and stand together in glory together. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. Father, we are so very thankful that you sent Jesus Christ to stand with us. And if Jesus had not come, then we would have no hope. We would have been uh, the ones who were victim to all the temptations and the attacks of the devil. Lord, we would still be living in our sin and in darkness. But thank you for Christ who came to save his people. So I pray, dear Lord, that we would trust in the gospel. Give us faith, O Lord, to, to believe on Christ, to keep looking to him, and to keep running this race of faith with one another so that we would see each other in glory, safely home with Christ. In his name we pray, amen.